Yeah. It looks like it's all done for Anime Paul. And like we talked about in our pre-election uh, episode, we talked about how her, her interview with CBC is an interview you give when you've already lost. You know, like that to me was like a interview like you're basically sealing your fate that you don't want to win. And then you get to election night and I didn't think she was going to be fourth fourth in in the Toronto Center in terms of in terms of voter like she had a really awful awful night uh, in terms of voting sure in uh, Toronto Center and you know it's tough to see because I think her voice in the house would have been something new you know something that's kind of in a sense a bit anti-establishment you know something that I know a lot of people would have appreciated you know kind of trying to change the status quo in Ottawa. And she would always talk about that on the campaign trial, like about wanting to change the status quo in Ottawa. And she would have been that candidate for a lot of people. But again, she wasn't able to deliver on that. And, you know, it's uh, tough to see, you know. Welcome back to Beyond Culture, where the podcast that attempts to bridge the gap between culture and politics. I'm your host, Abel. And in this final episode of our 2021 Canadian Federal Election Series, we offer our opinions about the election night. We talked about how Election Canada handled a pandemic election and discussed why some media's decision desks projected the election results before some polling places were closed. We also discussed whether this election was necessary or a waste of public funds. Furthermore, we discussed how each party and party leader performed. Finally, we talked about the COVID situation in Alberta and much more. Take a listen. Welcome back to Beyond Culture. I'm your host, Ivan, here with my co-host, Abel. You know, we just came back from... You know, a very short election night, you know, an election night where, you know, everybody's talking about how, you know, what was this all for, man? This this seems to have been a $600 million cabinet shuffle, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of different opinions on, uh, on election night, you know, but hey, man, we're here, I'm going to talk a bit about our post-election thoughts and everything, but yeah, it was a very short night, much shorter than... I thought it would be. Yeah, you know that that was the the one thing that surprised me it was the fact that we we're expecting uh, to get a result like the earliest on Tuesday, you know, like um, or or later in the week. But uh, like on the same election night, uh, CTV and TBC. Uh, projected that the Liberals were going to win a minority government. Uh, well, CTV said a minority minority government, and CBC just said they expected a Liberal win. They didn't say whether they didn't clarify whether it was going to be minority or majority, but everybody knew that it was going to be minority, right? So um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was that was surprising, you know. So I think uh, you know, like a welcome surprised. Uh, so I, I don't have. <laughs> I don't have much to complain about, but uh, um, yeah, what was your reaction to that? Uh, yeah, I was very surprised. I was in class, uh, mm. a class that ended. At, it was a seven to ten, but it like it ended around like it was getting around nine o'clock at that time. And even the the, the professor 
was like uh was like you know i'm getting a bit anxious about the results because we're still in class right and we know <laughs> some polls close like much earlier than others just depending on what your time zone is and know the ontario polls close at 9 30 and that's we can kind of pivot this into a conversation about you know broadcasting uh stations like you know projecting winners and all that stuff because i saw that conversation floating around based on the fact that people were like how can you project an election while people are still in line right because what we saw we saw a lot of long lines in uh especially in places like in ontario you know cities like toronto or like cities like Montreal, you know, a lot of people were lining up for a very long time. So people were like, I find it disrespectful how these broadcasters like CBC can project, you know, of a, a winner when people are still voting. And I understand where, you know, that anger comes from, especially because you want to feel like you're part of the process, you know, and then if you're in line and then you suddenly you get a text or something, somebody tells you, oh, Trudeau's already going to win a liberal minority and you haven't even voted yet. You know, you might feel some type of way, but I think that anger needs to be pivoted more towards election Canada, you know, because I know some people, people have pivoted their, their criticism towards them. I think it's more towards elections Canada because they, in terms of staffing, I don't think they reached our goals in terms of how many poll workers they wanted. Not only that, also COVID, which elections Canada can't really control, you know, because of COVID, there was only, they were only able to have like one poll worker per station instead of two, which is what they usually do. So that was a big mm-hmm. thing. And that led to like very long lines. Also, you can't wait inside as much. A lot of people have to wait outside. So mm-hmm. that adds to the time. But some lines, like I, I saw UBC, people waiting three hours to vote. Mm-hmm. Like that, that to me, in all honesty, you know, kudos to everybody that actually waited to vote because I don't think I would have waited three hours to vote. There's no way. That's why for me personally, I don't vote on election day ever. I've always voted. I think that's just something I took mm. from working in the provincial election in 2018. Like when you work at, yeah. and you're part of a campaign, like in that campaign, everybody's like, always is like, yo, go vote early, go advance polling. And that's like a habit I have from then. So I've always vote advanced polling or a special ballot process very early because I want to avoid these things that come to the last minute on election day because you honestly, you never know what can happen. But again, I think the broadcasters projecting the winners, uh, you know, in an election, like early while votes are still being tallied, like, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's actually we need that because the longer, you know, we don't have a clear picture of who's the winner and et cetera, then the bigger chances there are of, you know, people claiming election fraud and all those things i think it just offers us a very clear picture very early and most of the times when they do they do these protections they usually always get it right like the, there's been a few times where they got it wrong i think the only one big thing i could think about was bush v gore you know when they called florida so that's the only one i can really think about where like an, a decision desk got it wrong but usually they get it right and i think that's very important because at least people watching at home it's like you know we want to get a clear picture yeah, well, I, you know, I'll, I take your point, but I, I, I don't feel comfortable with, uh, like the decision desks, uh, projecting while people are still waiting because I feel like that is influencing the, the election, you know. So let's say you have some folks who are, you know, some conservatives who are, are waiting to vote for, for conservatives and then they hear, oh, like 
liberals want, you know, they'll be like, okay, I, I let me just go home. And some of these writings, you know, like are really, really tight. So like that can have an impact on which MP you send, even if it probably won't have uh, an impact on which government it's going to be, but it could have an impact on the MP. I know like the Jenica out, out when, uh, race, uh, the, the, yeah, the former green MP who became liberal in the past few months. I think the race was decided by less than 500 votes, you know. So if you have people on the, in line just waiting to vote for some kind of a race like that, I think uh projecting early might uh you know that might influence the uh the results. So I I think like they should just wait until all the you know like the polling stations are closed and then and then project as soon as the last one is closed, you know, because I know some people weren't able to vote because of the long line, because when, like, when it's time to close, they close, right? So they can extend the hours so they can just wait until, like, you know, all the closing, uh, the polling stations are closed. But I think that's uh, the problem. But so yeah, you know, like, in, this was a weird election. Mm. Oh, sorry. Mm. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, no. Yeah. So I was saying you know like this was a really short election we were expecting issues but you know like we didn't election kind of didn't have as many issues as people would have thought it could have had given that like the election was announced as uh the fourth wave was being announced you know so um yeah but also uh like you know like i i want to make a point about like the 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 thing that everybody's claiming about you know the six hundred million dollars uh, um waste of an election whatever but you can make your point first and then we can come back to that yeah no yeah my only point is that is and I take your point too it's just the, the polling stations are so different in terms of what polling station is going to close at what time because at the end of the day if you come to a polling if you're in line before that polling station closes then you are allowed, you're going to be able to vote, right? But it's a question about, like, how far you are in the line, as in that will determine when that polling station is going to end up uh, end up closing. So you see, like, a station, like, in polling station in UBC, where people are waiting, like, three hours or whatever. Like, those that's hours after the polling station is technically supposed to close, right? So mm. if it was more uniform in terms of when we expect this polling station to close, I think, it'd be easier for broadcasters to kind of make that decision. But since they kind of fluctuates, it's kind of hard for them to do that. And that's why, that's why I'm, I'm thinking more on their side, but also at the same time, we all know there's a motive to being the first one to call an election. Cause everybody's going to be like, well, CBC exactly. projected the election for Trudeau. So obviously for them, it's more like, you know what, well, we're trying to get our clicks and et cetera. So that's why they mm. do it, especially they, cause they hire all these people it's PhD people that that make the calculation and that end up projecting, you know, who's going to win. So they put their pour in a lot of resources into these projections, you know, so they're accurate. Mm. So I know they obviously want to get a bang for their buck and be the first one to call an election for somebody else. So I see there's, yeah, I, I do see both sides though, from the voters perspective and from the broadcasters perspective. Yeah. And so, you know, let's move on to, uh, the point that everybody's bringing up, you know, I even saw, uh, like some NDP members, you know, like, well, provincial NDP, you know, the, uh, Jagmeet Singh's brother, good, Gutaran Singh. Um, I saw he posted like it was like a, 
I saw it on Instagram, but it was uh, originally a TikTok, you know, saying Trudeau called an election an election for no reason, and then he got the same result. And we have just flushed $600 million down the drain. I even had like a kind of an argument with my brother about this, you know. Obviously, I think the, the election was like uh, politically motivated coming from Justin Trudeau because, you know, he thought that the... The popularity that he he had garnered uh, through the through the pandemic would lead him to a majority government, but that was you know that that you know that support that he had in the polls was sort of a mirage. Even uh, uh, his former advisor Gerald, uh, forgot his name, but I think it's Gerald Butts, but. Uh, you know, even said the same thing, saying that he, like, you know, the, the support simply wasn't there and it was a miscalculation from the part of liberals, you know. But that being said, you know, I don't think we should dwell on the fact that the election cost $600 million, you know. Like, if we're to have a strong democracy and, you know, and if you're going to be uh, strengthening our democracy, we shouldn't be looking at the cost of elections, you know. I think, like, um, you know, like we're, I think we're going to talk a little bit about this, about, you know, the Canadian, uh, electoral system, you know, at the federal level, the first past the first past the post, you know, like a lot of people complain about that, you know, so, but if we were to reform that system, which everybody thinks, well, I don't, I'm not sure about conservative, but at least NDP greens and liberals, at least in 2015 said they wanted to reform that system. You know, if they're going to reform it somehow, some way to strengthen, uh, the Canadian democracy, then elections are going to become frequent, you know, Be like you look at Israel, look at all the like, uh, like European countries. They have elections like every year, every two years, you know, like that's, you know, and that's not a bad thing. You know, we have, you know, in Canada, there's this Americanization of our politics. We shouldn't just be expecting an election every four years. You know, that's not, you know, that's not democracy. I think in our age, I think I would make a point of a stronger democracy where people are more involved and vote quite frequently, where you have referendums and whatnot. And we have to be prepared to to know that those things will cost. You know, democracy is not free. You have to be... Um, you know, as a society, we have to be prepared to know that it's going to cost. And if our democracy is going to be stronger, it's going to cost some money. So I, I don't, you know, I don't like the whole, especially coming from a party like the NDP, the whole six million, $600 million wasted and whatnot, you know, like, I, I don't like that, that thing. I, it, you know, like, obviously it was politically motivated, but let's not talk about like, you know, let's not be cheap when it comes to, uh, democracy that's like that that's my my point there mm -hmm. and i think yeah like you said it so a lot of it was pol politically motivated when it comes to like where those parties came from obviously mm. if you're justin trudeau and you know you're about to go on election you're you're ready your party's ready your friends are ready to go or whatever if you're like the ndp or a better better example the greens you did not want to be in this election whatsoever because Especially if you're the Greens, your funds are not there. You don't want to be in this. So they will be saying they didn't even have from candidates. The... Exactly. And they didn't have a full slate. And I, I think, uh, uh, is it Elizabeth talk? Is it Elizabeth may talk about that? And we'll get back to that. But 
again, like you don't want to be thrown into an election where you have to spend money. And for some of them, money you don't want to spend right now, you know, there's different motivations there. And I think when people say whether this election was wasted or not, I think it depends on what viewpoint you're looking at it from. So if you're looking at it from, let's say, <clears throat> the Justin Trudeau uh, viewpoint where it's more like you wanted a majority. We all know you wanted a majority. Sorry, I don't know what's in my throat. Just a sec. <laughs> I'll take a break. <laughs> Alright, I, I don't as I <clears throat> as I was saying, it really depends on like the viewpoint you're looking at it from. For the Justin Trudeau standpoint, they were all like you wanted a majority, you went into this election, poured all these resources into it, you didn't get a majority, we're exactly basically where we started. So that's that viewpoint of uh of looking at it. One other viewpoint is Let's say for the voters that really did not want to go out and vote, especially during this pandemic time, the voters that really just were like, okay, we're busy with all these life things, you know, that is happening right now. We do not want to, you know, have to take time of our lives to learn the candidates, learn the platform. Like we don't have time for it. We don't want to go vote, but had to go vote. But in their perspective, they're like, we did all that just to get the same thing that we, that we had before. That's like another viewpoint. I think in a wider sense, you could also look at it. As and I think that's kind of how I view it. Kind of like it seems like Canada is getting into a territory where, like, the minority government is gonna be the thing. I don't know for how long, but I'm just saying for now it appears to be the thing. And it seems like, you know, Canadians might want a government that has to work with other parties. You know, they want a government where. Because in a minority government, NDP voters get a say in what's going to happen, you know, in terms of what's happening in, uh, in terms of Canadian legislation. They get a say in it. You know, people in Quebec get a say in that as well. Cons conservatives, yes, no, but not really. Yes and no, but regardless, the Liberal Party has to work with all these different parties to get legislation passed. And you see things like the uh, the $10 a day childcare which is supported by the NDP and the Bloc, I believe. Like that is something, it just shows like a bipartisanship that's coming uh, to the House. So I think Canadians kind of like the way these parties have, have had to work, you know, together to get things passed. And it kind of showed a bit of unity. And maybe it's a message that Canadians are sending to, uh, to the people in the House. Now, again, you don't really get to know that message unless you have an election like we just had, right? So I think there's different things we can take out of this election. Yes, you can say we spent a lot of money, but also we kind of, and this, I don't like to say this point because this was Justin Trudeau's point, but I do think we kind of have a clear direction and mandate, at least, of what Canadians want for the foreseeable future in Canadian politics. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, you, you made an important point, you know, uh, that it looks like, you know, there's no, well, there's a progressive majority in Canada, you know. So if you take together, like, uh, the Liberals, the NDP, the Greens uh, on the margin, but even the Bloc Québécois. Bloc Québécois is a pretty progressive party with, like, uh, Quebec nationalism. And, you know, so there's that progressive majority in Canadian politics, but, uh, you know, like, but that majority is fractured between parties. You know, it's not just uh, uh, 
it's not just held within one party as is in the US, you know, where there's only two parties. But also on the right, you're starting to starting to get this fragmentation between uh, the People's Party and the, the Conservative Party of Canada, you know. So you have like the, you know, the People's Party, I think, ha got like something like four to five percent of uh, the total vote share, even though they didn't win any seat. But still, that's pre quite significant in terms of, you know, like, uh, uh, internal, in terms of vote share, you know, and that could, if the part, that party wasn't there, like the conservative would have been in an even better situation, you know, so you're starting to get these fragmentations with multiple parties, which is actually, I, I like it, you know, it's quite healthy, you know, like, you know, I don't, I, you know, uh, I clearly don't like the, the, the American system. That's why I, I get, you know, frustrated when Canadians want, want to Americanify, you know, Canadian politics, you know, because I think politics in the U.S. has become really dysfunctional and we should not be looking south to reform our institutions, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, like, uh, as you said, you know, we're in a situation where, like, you know the the support is fractured so which leaves us in like a minority government situation and canadians feel like you know like it's better for these parties to cooperate you know like through in given in the pandemic you you saw this and i talked about this i said you know like parliament was functioning quite fine and even probably even better than usual you know like uh it's just that one party didn't have the power to push through uh, you know, they're, you know, like controversial bills, you know, for example, the, what was it, C31 bill, like I, the bill that was brought forth by the Minister of uh, Canadian Heritage, Stephen Gilbo, about like online, um, you know, about regulating online content, you know, like, you know, the bills that didn't go through were either controversial or were not well they were not well thought thought about you know like they they had they still had some details to think about you know so the liberals just you know Justin Trudeau just said oh people are uh you know people are just uh standing in our way you know like they're they're being obstructionist but that's that wasn't the, the case you know like Canada spent more than 200 billion dollars in the past since 2019 you know and all the that money had to be approved by parliament so that shows that there was an uh an important level of of cooperation you know so as i said you know a lot of people want to reform uh our system of of the electoral system and any reform especially like proportional uh representation it's going to lead you know it's it's going to lead to more minority government situations, you know, which means more elections, you know, like every time a, a government collapses, doesn't mean that there will be an election. You know, some parties might come together and form a majority, but sometimes you won't have that, that chance. You'll have, you'll have to go to, to an election. So we have to get ready for, for that fact. And it's not a bad thing, you know, having more say in, you know, in, in public affairs, is not is not a bad thing it's quite actually it is quite a a good thing and i think that we should be heading more towards that you know that direction and my last point is you know i just 
we just I just feel bad for the NDP because like they they work so hard, you know, and they have like they get like twenty percent twenty percent of the popular vote, you know, something like twenty percent. But still, you know, the like the geographic map uh, is just so skewed against them that like that twenty percent like converts to like 20 seats you know which is 20 seats is not even i think they have like 30 seats if i'm i'm if i'm not mistaken 30 or 29 seats which is you know less which is around 10 percent. you know so they have a, a really bad bias in the uh geographical map and that's why i think they should be pushing for uh you know in this minority government i feel like they should be pushing for electoral reform Mm-hmm. And I think what's interesting is that uh, this party fragment, or let's say base fragmentation, really coincides with like the resurgence of the Bloc Québécois. Because you see, I believe like 2011, 2015, the Bloc wasn't really you know a factor in those elections. But you go to 2019, that's when the Bloc resurges, right? So now that the Bloc is right now, they're what around like they're over uh, just over 30 votes i mean just over 30 seats in the in the house you know that's those are seats you know that could that could go liberal that could go conservative to help them form a majority but because the bloc quebecois is now popular again led by yves-francois blanchette it's very hard to you know to get to that majority government because now you're looking around okay where else can seats swing the way they swing in quebec and there's not many provinces where it really swings that's why uh at least for the conservatives one of their goals was to try to try to get votes in you know in the gta area you know aaron O'Toole spent a lot of time down there and what was interesting and i I don't know if you saw this as well but on the morning of election of the election you start seeing party conservative party insiders say if we stop justin trudeau from getting a majority (laughs) it's a win I started seeing this. I'm like, where did this come from? Now, mind you, <laughs> my opinion on this is that I would see it as a win. You know, it's a, it is a moral, it is a moral victory for the conservatives just based at where Aaron O'Toole was at the beginning of the election. Because at the beginning, a lot of people did not know who he was. We thought he was about to get smoked. He wasn't going to do well in the election at all. But that quickly changed when you saw it, see his number rise in the polls, you know? And even then, for me, I'm still like, if you're able to just have an okay election, you know, because this came out of nowhere for for him, you know, it was there was he wasn't necessarily prepared, you know, he didn't have the ground game enough ground game to go into an election. So if you just have just have an okay election for me, see it as a win. Don't let Trudeau get the minority. It's a win for the conservatives. But this is my opinion. That was not their opinion during the during the beginning of the election. So this pivot of trying to catch us more victory and obviously what we know about moral victories they're always after the fact right after you catch a big l or whatever now you start looking at the positives and etc you know it's never before the fact but still i'm just saying my opinion is that you know what the conservatives actually you know did a, an okay job but what's weird now is that aaron o'toole's leadership is now uh, being put into question and i didn't really no was going to get put into question until like I really watched the speech and the way he was drilling the fact that, okay, we set our base. We started, we have certain things that are going our way. We will be ready for the next election. Like his speech was a lot of that and also reaffirming the same message he had 
during his uh, leadership uh, speech when he won the conservative leadership, where he was like, you know what, the conservative party is for everybody. It's for black, white, et cetera, different sexual orientations and all these things. Like he was reaffirming that message because obviously what we know about Arnold too is that he's trying to expand the conservative base. Like that's one of his goals as well. That's why we saw during the election, he was pushing conservatism more towards the center. He was trying to operate as a moderate. Like he's one of the first few uh, conservative leaders to be a pro-choice, a pro-choice guy, which was a very bold, you know, a very bold stance. That as a conservative leader, I was very bold to move the party that way. And I know a lot of conservatives were like, that's not the way, we're, that's not where we want to move the party. But Aaron O'Toole said, regardless where you want to move the party, this is what can get us wins. So he made that decision and this is where he's moving the party. And now it's question to see whether his party will allow him to stay on after this, you know, because we don't, I'm not sure, uh, What's uh, I'm not sure if they have necessarily confidence in Aaron O'Toole for the for the next election, especially because I think the conservatives are definitely tired of you know losing these election cycles in tech in technical terms. They are losing to the liberal government, so it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen with the conservative. But I did find it interesting when on election morning I started seeing insiders talk about. Oh, if we stop Trudeau from winning a majority, it's a W. I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I saw that too. Like, it was pretty funny. And that was just to say that they they didn't expect to win, you know, like they're expecting a liberal minority. So they were kind of tempering the expectations of their partisans uh, and their supporters, you know. So, uh, you know, like, I, I suppose everybody does that, you know, like, uh, even, uh, you know, like even in 2019, when they they lost the leader, Andrew Scheer, uh, in his speech, you know, and we talked about this. It was like the speeches from the leaders were really bizarre because everybody was claiming, was acting as if they won. You know, Andrew Scheer was saying, oh, we won the popular vote. The conservative movement is growing. You know, we're ready for, we'll be ready for Justin Trudeau the next time. But this time, you know, like even... It was really interesting to see um, Aaron O'Toole uh, just double down on on the moderation. You know, as you said, the the the, the direction he's been taking um, the party. Uh, you know, so like it was really it was really interesting. You know, I thought maybe he might try to appease, to, you know, to appease the social conservatives, but he was like, you know, we're a party that is inclusive. You know, and it was. Quite a good speech. I liked his speech. You know, it, it had like, it felt like he he had really really good writers. And the something that stuck in my stuck in my mind is at the end he said that you know, uh, you know, like our movement is growing. Something like that. We're will be will be full. Uh, right. We'll be ready for the next election, and I'll be ready to to lead the conservative party in the next election. So he is expecting to, to remain as the leader and well, we'll have to see. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if, you know, the people who want to bring back uh, the party to the right uh, are, are, you know, are correcting their thinking, you know, because I feel like, uh, like the ideology of Canadians in this, uh, pandemic has moved a little bit to the left because of all the spending, but that might change given, you know, like the, you know, the talks about inflation and, you know, like, 
balancing budgets and whatnot. You know, that might change. You never know. You can't predict the future. So uh, that the public public opinion might change. But I feel like uh, conservatives have a pretty good chance if they can try to win some seats in, in, in Quebec and try to tame a little bit the People's Party, you know, because like the People's Party gained a lot of support because of, you know, anti-vax people, you know, and vaccine passports and stuff. So if that's not an issue anymore and they can get back those supporters, I feel like they, they, they could be in a better situation next time. Um, and one last thing is, you know, like I, I like how Justin Kenny is being brought into the conversation because of how, how, uh, how he screwed the, you know, the COVID situation in Alberta. And that, you know, first of all, like Erno tool in the summer was like, this is how we should be doing things, you know, so that, that screwed them. And also now, like, you know, it's just like, there's a lack of trust from Canadians, uh, when they're looking at the conservative party, either on the federal level or the provincial levels, because like they see what happened in, in, uh, in what's happening right now in Alberta. But, uh, so, I'd like to, to, uh, you know, congratulate Doug Ford for the job he's been doing. You know, he's, he's even announced today that all their candidates in, in, in next year's election will have, will be mandated to, uh, to get the vaccine, you know, so he's, he's playing that moderate card, right? You know, I'm, I'm not too sure about Justin Kenny. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk a bit about the impact of the PPC, obviously, because the big thing mm -hmm. about the PPC that, a lot of people have talked about, especially PPC supporters, it's like, you know, they're not getting the coverage, you know, you know, it's, uh, I even, uh, he was getting into, uh, Maxime Bernier was getting interviewed on election day, I forgot by who, but he was, it was a CBC, uh, reporter and he was like, mm. you know, they don't, they don't cover us and et cetera. And then the, the CBC reporter was like, well, I'm here right now. And then Maxime Bernier was like, yes, <laughs> but you were, you were here at the beginning of the campaign. Now you're here. Thank you. But you know, you weren't here at the beginning. And I think there was definitely some element of undercoverage of the, of, uh, the PPC and Maxime Bernier. Even, to be honest, even on our part, I don't think we touched that. We didn't talk too much about Maxime Bernier and the PPC. It, if you want to compare it to last election when Maxime Bernier was on the debate stage and all that, we, we would talk, talk a lot about it compared to now. We didn't really cover it much, but they did, you know, raise their support. You know, and especially in the tally of like national votes, at least a percentage. I think I think it's like a five point one. So you know that's big for the their part, uh, the PPC party and Maxime Bernier. But again, none of no nobody won their seat, and not even their uh, Maxime Bernier won his seat. But I think what is interesting is, like you said, I'm bringing it back to party fragmentation because you see that the PPC actually had, I, I would say, an, an impact on the election. Again, all the votes are not in, so we can't really make a full analysis of uh, what exactly happened. But you look at a place like, let's say, Cambridge, you know, the writing in Cambridge where the difference between the conservative and the liberal uh, MP who ended up winning, I believe it's like 2,000 votes. And you look at the votes that the PPC candidate got in that writing, that PPC candidate got 3.5 thousand votes. So 3,500, around 3,500 votes. So Stuff like that, when you start looking at those margins, you know, because the, the margin between conservative and liberal was 2K, and you see the PPC candidate got 3.5K, you look at that, you're like, 
Did the PPC influence what happened in Cambridge? Could the Conservative have won that seat were it not for the PPC candidate running, you know, in that the in that writing? Or even look at I was just looking also at Kitchener South. Kitchener South, the difference between the Liberal and Conservative candidate is like seven hundred votes or whatever. And the PPC candidate, you look at there in Kitchener South, PPC candidate had like three point two K votes. So if you look at stuff like that, it's like the PPC, it really looks like they had an impact, especially on conservatives. You know, it seems like they're taking some votes away. Again, those votes for the PPC might be, you know, might be people that don't necessarily vote. But now that the PPC is, you know, uh, is is out here and they had finally had a rallying cry, maybe they came to vote. So it doesn't necessarily mean that those PPC votes translate to conservative votes. But... Mm. Just in terms of probability, you have to believe that at least a good amount of these votes that could have helped the conservatives win, especially in especially Kitchener itself. It's 700, 800 votes difference between conservative and liberal. Especially in Kitchener itself, you look at it, you're like, a conservative could have won that seat were it not for Maxime Bernier and the PPC. So I did find that very, uh, very interesting. But again, I think one thing you brought up earlier, and I'm going to bring it back, is in, in the next election cycle, maybe they won't have that rallying cry that they had, which was COVID, you know, the max, the mask, and then the, and then the, the vaccination passport. They might not have that. And that was played a huge, huge role in Maxime Bernier being able to galvanize the PPC base. You know, going into the next election, he's going to have to find, if we're, at that point we're not really dealing with COVID as much, he's going to have to find something else to galvanize the PPC base, right? Before this election, back in 2019, the the rallying cry, I think at that point, just from what I remember, because we talked a bit about this, I think it was a lot of it was like free speech and et cetera, et cetera, right? That was more, I think, one of his main messages, you know, like being able to think freely and et cetera. That was one of his things he would always mention. And I remember him and Jagmeet Singh went back and forth about it. He was like, Jagmeet Singh, you only agree with people that have the same thoughts as you and whatever. So it was, as we said, it was like, you don't deserve a platform, et cetera, et cetera. But I do find it interesting what happened with the PPC on election night. I, I'm wondering though, if they're going to have something to galvanize the base in the next election, the way they had in this election. Yeah. And I feel like they need also need some other new f- faces, you know, um, especially like charismatic uh, f- English English-speaking uh, candidates, you know, like uh, Maxime Bernier is, is a, you know, is a seasoned politician. He, I think he can do well in Quebec, although I'm not sure like how well he, he can do because he's, he's not even winning his own seat in both, uh, you know, where he's from. So, uh, you know, like as a general rule, Quebec is quite, uh, has been quite, uh, left-leaning this couple of years you know so like to to swing to like the you know further right than the conservative is kind of a hard task so that's why i think like i believe like he should try to concentrate and even try to uh um try to win a seat in alberta or something you know just like do what uh i think Derek sloan tried to do the same thing you know so just mm-hmm. change your writing because i feel like he he could have uh more support over there and Jamie even Sinch if did he, that Jamie exactly went to burnaby yeah burnaby uh and 
I believe did didn't Anna 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 Meeple do the same thing? You know, didn't she switch uh, her writing? I'm not too Ooh. sure. I don't know. All I know is that she should have never been running in Toronto Center. But I'll let you finish your point, and we'll go to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I feel like uh, you know, but that's what Bernier should be trying to do. Like, first of all, try to win one seat. You know, that would increase your visibility. You know, whenever you're in Parliament in question period, you just say whatever you want, and that thing, whatever if, however extreme or however charismatic it is it's gonna be on tv and you know like the news will love it you know like they love extreme people you know they love like bombastic people like trump that's why like the the cable news did so well and you know so i think he should try to try he should first of all try to win a seat you know and then and then from there he can grow the party you know because as i said on the on the six cents report episode that we did a couple of days ago you know visibility is the is the most important thing in politics you know if you're not visible you know like you're gonna have a tough time but uh in terms of how and whether they're undercovered i think they were uh i think the biggest issue was the fact that he wasn't invited in in the debates i think that was the biggest issue but in terms of the coverage you know like they didn't have a lot of support at the beginning of the race you know like when the conservatives were leading when like the conservatives started leading the liberals you know like they didn't have a lot of support there were like one two percent you know and then as the race tightened uh, you you saw a lot of people, and then that's when the vaccine uh, vaccine passport thing came up. You know, that's when you saw them rise. You know, in terms of popularity, and that that happened literally, I believe, just before or right after the debates. You know, that's when they they even surpassed Bloc Quebecois at some point in the pop like the the sh- the percentage share the percentage share of 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 votes. You know, like the pr- according to the polls you know so uh so there was that weird dynamic you know i would understand if they complained but also it wasn't like it was like a s- systemic you know like discrimination against a party you know mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah exactly and i think if it had been like especially their support their so their how they've risen in the polls like uh like as we got deeper into the race if they had like that original support in the polls they would have I believe that was the only criteria they were missing in terms of uh, uh, being eligible for those debates, right? So I think that would have helped them get into those debates. I don't think I'm missing another criteria. I think they would have been able to get to those debates. No, it was but, just that. Yeah, so they didn't have that in the polls. So that obviously uh, did hurt them. But again, like uh, like you said, and I believe this too, man, uh, at some point you just, just, just got to win a seat, you know? I remember when Jagmeet Singh went to, I think, it's, is it C. Burnaby South? I think so. Whatever. Yeah, Jagmeet, yeah so Jagmeet Singh is writing. I remember when he started running there, people were like, why is he running there? Does he, like, is he, <laughs> you, I, I don't think he's lived there. So there, a lot of, you know, a lot of criticism on him doing that, that, like, he can't really represent the people. That conversation lasted maybe a few months. Now, nobody cares about that anymore. Nobody cares. As a leader, you want to have a seat, right? And that's a, also the thing I saw when I was looking at just Amy Paul. I'm like, you're running literally in one of the hardest seats ever. Like, the <laughs> liberal have dominated Toronto Center for a bit, especially with Bill Morneau. 
So mm-hmm. to decide to choose, like, it, very noble, you know, very noble to try to go <laughs> into this community and try to help out because you feel like this is your community and this is the, like, it's your people, et cetera. But still, you're the leader of a party. You got to just win a seat. Like, if you, and I, yo, you know, I don't like saying this out loud because I just say it, you know, sometimes with my voice, I'm like, yo, you just go win a seat anywhere. Just, if you have to go <laughs> in the middle of nowhere to win a seat in a riding where you know you can win, you go there because you just look at the trajectory of Anime Paul's uh, political career. It's just been downhill. And I think it really could have changed if she was at least elected, you know, mm. into, the, into the house. I think it, a lot really could have changed for her. And now it's like, it's literally, I think it's written, it's basically written in the stand that she's going to go, that she's going to leave the Green Party. Like, it, I don't see how she could stay, especially, I don't know if you saw Elizabeth May's interview on election night, mm-hmm. where she's like, where she was talking. And I think she was low-key throwing shit at Henry Paul, but she was like, you know, we need to figure out how we didn't have a full slate of candidates, you know. Back in the 2019 election, we had one. And he said, we, she was like, and the election before, we also had one. It's just, I'm trying to figure out why we didn't have one in this election. Basically pointing to, like, what did Anime Paul do to our party? Basically, that's all that, that's basically what she said. And Elizabeth May won her seat. And also, the Greens also won another seat. I believe it's Mark Morris. I don't quote, I think it's Mark Morris. Uh, that he was, a, he was able to, um, win a seat in the, in the writing of a liberal, of one of the liberals that was running that got booted from the party due to sexual mm. harassment claims. The rock, the, his, mm. his name is Raj something. So, the mm. uh, Greens were able to win, to win that seat. So now they have like, they have two seats. As of now, they have two seats. But, uh, but yeah, like, yeah, it looks like it's all done for Anime Paul. And like we talked about in our pre election, uh, episode, we talked about how her Eve's, her interview with CBC is an interview you give when you've already lost. You know, like that to me was like a interview like you're basically sealing your fate that you don't want to win. And then you get to election night, and I didn't think she was gonna be fourth, fourth in in the Toronto Center in terms of in terms of voter. Like she had a really awful, awful night uh, in terms of voting. Sure, in uh, Toronto Center, and you know it's tough to see because I think her voice in the house would have been something new, you know, something that's kind of, in a sense, a bit anti-establishment, you know, something that I know a lot of people would have appreciated, you know, kind of trying to change the status quo in Ottawa. And she would always talk about that on the campaign trial, like about wanting to change the status quo in Ottawa. And she would have been that candidate for a lot of people. But again, she wasn't able to deliver on that. And, you know, it's uh, tough to see. Yeah, no, the Green Party has just been a mess for the past year, you know, like a big, big mess. First of all, like about not having, not having a a full slate of candidates, you know, like that's, that's unacceptable, you know, like even if you're a new leader, you know, but I don't blame her completely because just the, the party also has been nuts, you know, like the, the, the attacks on her have been, you know, like just, out of this world you know and i think she she's also made a couple of bad decisions and i've talked about this but i think it was a really terrible decision to try to run against marcy ian in toronto center even you know even if she came in second you know i i think it was it would still have been like a bad decision and you know marcy ian has been there for 
she's been there since I believe since Bill Mornor resigned. So like she knew she knew who she was running against, you know. So um it was just a They ran against each to... other in the by election. Exactly. Oh yeah. true, in the by election. So mm-hmm. you know, like sh- she should have known and try to find another riding, maybe talk to Elizabeth May and be like, it's probably your time to retire. Mm-hmm. Let me, <laughs> you know, let me run in your riding or something. You know, yeah. like because I don't think Elizabeth Elizabeth May's voice in in this upcoming parliament is going to be that like that influential, you know, she's been there for some time. They don't have enough seats, so she doesn't hold the balance of power. But I feel like Anime Paul's presence would have would have been felt, you know. Uh, but you know, like, and also I feel like, you know, like I, I I don't think Elizabeth May would have, you know, would have agreed to step down. You know, she she agreed to like leave the leadership, but she's still running. You know, so it's kind of like. You know, it's at some time, at some point, you just have to retire, man, and for the good of the party. But I feel like you know that party is just a big, big mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just it just seems like uh, as much like you said, as much as it like Elizabeth May, let let's say like go of the leadership, the way she talks is as if she's still the leader of the party. So I don't know if a if you have your previous leader talking the way she does, if you can truly be successful as a leader of the Green Party, you know, outside of, of Elizabeth May. So in a way, she's kind of, in a way, she's really, she is dooming the Green Party. If they're not able to find, you know, a person that could really take the mantle, or if the next person that takes the mantle has to suffer the same the same things, you know, it's, uh, I don't know where this, uh, where this is going to go. But, you know, that was a uh, election night, you know. Interesting. I don't know. Do you have another topic you wanted to talk about? I don't really. I can't think about anything no. else to mind. Yeah, just a final point about the Greens. You know, it's just so unfortunate uh, that you know, like in in these times where people are really concerned about climate change, and you have these, uh, you know, you have this. Uh, mobilization you know these movements uh on climate that a green party in canada you know is not does not have its is uh its stuff together you know so you know like it's just it's just so unfortunate and you know i wish them i wish them all the best but like they have to get their stuff together man they have to get it they have to you know and i feel like it's not even the leader's fault you know like mm-hmm. you know just the party has been kneecapping the leader you know anami paul even if i know she made some mistakes and i talked about this but the party has just been kneecapping kneecapping her um and it's and it's not good to see mm-hmm. yeah and i just checked actually the name of the the green mp who won in kitchener center his name is mike morris not mark morris but I mean, that's a that's a one of the, it's the first green seat in Ontario, I believe. So that's, that's big for them. But again, those, the circumstances are very unique. You know, the liberal MP, which is Raj, got booted from the, from the liberal caucus. So, uh, he, he, I don't know. Mike, uh, Mike Morris did have, he was second in 2019. So, you know, it was always a potential there, but you know, kudos to them for at least winning, uh, that seat. Uh, and what just released today actually is, uh, Kevin Wong, the other liberal 
who was previously liberal before you know uh, the allegations against him came out uh, and then he got booted also from the liberal caucus he i believe he ended up winning uh his riding in uh fort york so that and he just released a statement today that it also it seems like he's going to end up going into the house and he's probably going to be sitting as a as an independent but he's basically said that I don't want to read a statement or whatever, but I'm not going to go look for it. But basically, he's like, you know, I'm going to fight those people. I know I, I didn't, I don't have your trust. I'm going to try to earn your trust, et cetera, et cetera. But he said that he's going to, it appears that what he's saying is that I'm going to go to the house, regardless of, you know, these uh, allegations against me. So, uh, yeah, he seems like one of those guys who's really, really ambitious and he, he won't go down easy. You know, which is unfortunate given, you know, the allegations against him. But, um, uh, but we'll see. We'll see how, you know, if, if it can make the voters forget about, uh, his allegations. And, uh, you know, it'll, it, it would be better if we get more clarity about like the allegation and perhaps an investigation so that, you know, people know exactly what happened. Um, but yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, but we, yeah, actually, we, uh, but yeah, I think I, I agree. I, uh, I agree with that. I think that's what's going to be interesting is more whether, you know, the voters in his writing will be able to support him because you couldn't go, you couldn't go to the house all you want, you know, and say, I'm going to do this time and whatever. But if your supporters in your writing cannot support you, that's not something you could just, scave off like you're you're sent to the house specifically to represent those people right and you're not going to be able to put that behind you if those people are not able to put you know the allegations you have you know behind them so it's i think it comes down actually to the in a weird way it really does come down to the voters in uh in the that for your uh for your writing so yeah as you said it will we'll see what happens uh we're definitely we're now we're heading into uh, the provincial election very very soon at least in ontario next year we have that coming up so and uh, is alberta as well is going to be that's going to come into question especially because of jason kenny and i think today or yesterday today i think he reshuffled uh his cabinet at least the health minister and etc so it's going to be a crazy next few months let me say that yeah well we're we're here for it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's all the best when there's you know like uh, stuff to talk about in Canadian politics because sometimes you can go on for a year without you know literally <laughs> without having anything so, you know of uh, interesting to talk about. But uh, yeah, exactly. So thank you everybody for listening in. Thank you for, obviously everybody who uh, voted. You know, kudos for you, everybody uh, who got out to vote. And if you didn't vote, you know. Well, you can always vote in the next election. I think what I did find interesting is that a group of, I believe, Ontario high schools got together and did a mock election. And it was like over, okay. like, it was like a few thousands, few thousand high schools that did this. You know, they all did a mock election and it kind of got, got the kids in, like, into the process of what it's like to vote, et cetera. And then the, the results was that the liberals won a minority government, um, the NDP, <laughs> the NDP was the off the official opposition, and then the conservatives okay. were third. 
Yeah, which is kind of it makes sense, honestly. Like you don't, if you, <laughs> I could have, I could have, I didn't, I couldn't assume that it would have been a liberal minority government, but I definitely could have assumed the NDP would have been the official opposition. Yeah, it's it's just funny how it's all coming back to minority governments. So exactly, even <laughs> with the kids, <laughs> exactly, even with the kids, man, it is a sign. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we'll be back probably next episode probably talk about u.s politics and what's happening there because a lot a lot is happening uh Mm -hmm. but thank you for listening in uh in terms of suggestions i don't really have any suggestion other than you know i'm back to watching money heist you know season five i just started so we'll see what's gonna happen there hopefully the one of the greatest villains that i hate the most everybody who knows him arturo ends up you know (laughs) meeting a certain hey fate. don't spoil it's not i'm not spoiling don't spoil it. i don't i don't know i just started okay. i literally i just started so it's no this is not spoilers but i hope i my at the end of this season i hope that guy meets <laughs> a, a fate that is built for him man that guy is so annoying but uh yeah everybody <laughs> thank you for listening in and this was beyond culture goodbye and good night good night Thank you.